Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to uh, every one of our campuses uh, this morning down in uh, San Jose and Saratoga and Mountain View and San Mateo, and then right here in Menlo Park. Uh, and if you're watching online, wherever you are, uh, so glad you could join us. Uh, it is my privilege to, to wrap up this series that we're in called Get in the Game, and we're going to end uh, this sermon and uh, the service at every one of our campuses with communion as a reminder that we are all a part of this big team that God calls us into, and, uh, and we're in this together. So if you are at home watching this, wherever you are, whatever day, whatever time zone you're in, if you want to grab uh, a wafer, a piece of bread, uh, a little bit of juice, uh, you are more than welcome to celebrate communion with us after, uh, after the service. Well, today we're finishing this series on how God invites us, you and me, to be part of something that is so much greater than ourselves. So much greater than what's going on at Menlo Church. This is so much greater than what God is doing in the whole Bay Area. God is up to something big. He's calling us to something so amazing. And so this week, we're talking about the big game. Now, when you picture the big game, what's the first thing that comes to mind? It could be, if you're in the Bay Area, it's Stanford Cal football. Every fall, the big game, who's going to get the ax? It's this epic rivalry uh, here in the Bay Area. But you might think about the Super Bowl in February or uh, the World Series in the fall or uh, the NBA championships in the spring. It's the Final Four, the Stanley Cup, the, the World Cup Finals, whatever, pick your sport. Uh, there's an epic big game. But here's the thing, in sports, only a minuscule few people ever get to play in the big game. In basketball, for example, there was an NCAA study that found that for men playing in high school, high school basketball, less than 1%, fewer than 1% ever get to play in an NCAA Division I school. It's actually 0.9% of high school players get to play at a Division I college. Of that 1% that play in college, only 1.2% make it from the college level to the NBA. So 1.2% of that 1% make it to the pros. Of that 1.2% that make it to the, the big league, the NBA, only 11% will ever win a championship. So in sports, the big game, it's reserved for the super athletes. It's reserved for the best of the best and that's why we cheer on our favorite team so passionately, because we get to vicariously participate in these epic contests that we'll never get to play, most of us, in a game of that magnitude. I, I did play football in college, just so you know. It was intramural co-ed flag <laughs> football between the dorms, and I did play a few times, and I was pretty good. But I still get into these, these great championship games. So many of us do because we can play in something that really we don't have a chance at doing in real life. The big games are for the best of the best. Only the very well qualified should even bother to try. But what God invites us to, what God calls us to, it's not reserved for a select few. 
God is up to something big. And Jesus doesn't just call the best and the brightest, the super Christians who fast for eight days a week and pray 27 hours a day without ceasing. Here's the beauty of it. He invites you. Jesus invites me. He invites us to get in the game of what God is doing in the world today. And it's not just about volunteering at church, although that is important. This is about God saying, I am doing something wonderful and amazing in the world that changes lives forever, and I want you to be part of it. I want you to be on my team. So I want to dive into why why get in the game? What qualifies us? What motivates us to want to do this? I mean, we say this whole series, get in the game, but, but what is it and why? Well, why get in the game? First reason is really, really simple. We get in the game because we are chosen by God's grace. We're chosen by God's grace. So you see, on every team ever, players jockey for who gets picked. Go back to the earliest age. You can Kids on a playground. And they're choosing teams, high school athletes working to get noticed by a college recruiter and parents hoping that their kids might get one of those elusive college scholarships. College athletes striving to get noticed, to get picked up by the pros, and then you make it to the pros and you're striving to try to get more game time or make it into the starting lineup. Now, some of you were athletes at some point, maybe you still are, and you you relish that kind of competition, bring it on. Others maybe dreaded that time in school when the coaches had this great idea of choosing two team captains, saying, Billy, Susie, you guys are the captains, everybody else line up, and you're going to take turns choosing your team. And maybe in that moment, the very first prayer you prayed and meant it deep in your heart was, Lord, please do not let me be the last one picked. Still may have some trauma about that. It was so much better when they figured out just to number off by twos. Uh, it, but then kids would start to kind of shift in line so they could get, you know, be, be all even numbered or something. But see, when it comes to this team, when it comes to this team that God calls us to, Jesus has chosen you. You are his number one draft pick, first round, the Lord of the universe who created all things, who holds the stars and the galaxies in his grasp, seeks you out, looks you in the eye, and says, I choose you. I want you to be on my team. I want you in my family. I want you to be part of my glorious work. And you might protest. You might protest and say, God, I'm not all that spiritually strong. I don't know the Bible that well. I I, I didn't grow up in church. I have doubts. I I need to get my own act together first before I can respond to that. If you knew my history, God, if you knew the things that I struggle with, and Jesus says, I know, I know, I know. I know everything about you. I've forgiven you through my death on the cross. 
I've raised you to new life. I will give you everything that you need in this endeavor. So, yeah, I choose you. I choose you. We're chosen by God's grace, not by works. And Jesus doesn't make mistakes in whom he chooses. Jesus does not make mistakes in whom he chooses. And he says, I choose you. Ephesians, Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do you hear that? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And 1 Thessalonians, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And that Jesus himself says this, You did not choose me. You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. We are chosen by God's grace. And and God has this funny way of consistently choosing the underdog. Some examples, random leaders in the Bible. Moses, a fugitive from Egypt, who was terrified of public speaking and wanted for murder. He chose Deborah to be a prophet and judge to rule over Israel for 40 years when all the other rulers were men. And God says, I choose you, Deborah. Jesus chose an outspoken fisherman in Peter who had no emotional intelligence at all. He could not read the room, no matter how hard he tried. Jesus chose a reviled tax collector in Luke. He chose Mary Magdalene to be the first witness to his resurrection. This was in all four Gospels in a culture where women were not considered credible witnesses in any court. Jesus says, no, Mary, I choose you. I choose you. Thomas, who is filled with doubt. Anybody struggle with doubt? He chooses you. God chooses me. And maybe you've never responded back. Maybe you've never really said, Jesus, I, I, I want to respond to that invitation. Maybe today's the day you want to talk to your campus pastor, wherever you are, about that. Maybe you think you're just not qualified. And you're right, because none of us are. It's not about us. It's not about you and your qualifications. It's about God. It's about what he has done for us in Jesus Christ And it's God in his grace calling you and me to the most amazing adventure, and he'll provide everything that we need. We get in the game because we are chosen by God's grace. Now, the second reason is this. This is about our motivation when we get in the game. Whether you've been in the game and just serving in all kinds of ways uh, or never have, we get in the game because we're compelled by God's love. Not guilt, not by shame, 
Not by some misguided superiority complex or holier than thou uh, idea that we have. We're motivated. We're compelled by God's love. Now, I have never heard a coach in the locker room before a game saying, team, I love you guys so much and and we all just love each other and you can just feel the love in this locker room. So we're going to go out there onto the field and we're just going to love on the other team. And let them know how much we love them. And the refs, they get a lot of hate. You know, they make bad calls. But when they do, just love on those guys. Like, that's what we're all about here. And that's never, never hear that in a locker room before the game or after the game when they interview the star player and say, how did it feel? And, you know, we we just went out there hoping to let the other team let them know how much we love them. If there is a competition in this game it is how do we outlove one another? It's not about crushing the competition or clawing your way to the top. No, whoever would become greatest must become a servant. Jesus say the way, says the way to win is love one another as I have loved you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 20, it starts out like this, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, Jesus. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are compelled by God's love, God's love for you, God's love for me. God's love for the person in front of you at the grocery store who has 24 items in their cart and they're in the 15-item express line. I know because I counted and it was my cart. Uh, That person who cut you off in traffic also could have been me. That person in the cubicle next to your ears at work who hums all the time or that, that teacher who loves to give pop quizzes on a Monday morning. The person whose political views are very different from your own. Christ's love compels us, but I'll tell you something. I don't have that kind of radical love naturally in my own heart. But God can give us all that we need. God's love tank, it it never runs dry. It's kind of like this. when, When Carrie and I had our first child... And I thought, well, I love my wife so much. How how am I going to love this another human being, like in this parental way? And and we had our first child who did nothing but sleep and cry and eat and poop. And uh, nevertheless, like you're just filled with this uh, love for this little being. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, shoot, if we have another child, how can I love another child as much as this child? And I was kind of picturing it's like a pie, and and the more we slice up the pie, like the less everybody gets. And then we had our second child. And guess what? Did I love either one any less? No, it's like this whole room opened in my heart, and I realized I I thought I loved this child with the whole world, and now I love this child with the whole world too. And then, then we had our third child, and I thought, how does this keep happening? But after that, I, I, guess what? 
Like, I love this little guy just as much as I love the first two. God is like, it's not a pie that just gets smaller and smaller slices. God says, I'm just going to give you more and more pie. An endless supply. God's love tank never goes dry. And the more we know God's love, the more I get it into my thick head and my hard heart that I am a beloved child of the living God whom Jesus has redeemed and given a new purpose, that I am now adopted into God's family. You see, the more we, we love and experience God's love, the more our capacity to love just increases in a way that we could not possibly do in our human strength. We're in the game because of love. And often people who call themselves Christians forget this. We're not in the game to guilt anyone or to prove who's in or who's out or to show who's right or who's wrong. We're not in the game to win a culture war. We're not in the game to show who's better or who's worse. That's the way the world works. That has no place in God's kingdom. Our motivation is love, the love of God that he has shown to us. Why get in the game? Because we're chosen by God's grace. We're compelled by God's love. And there's a third reason, because we're confident. We are confident in God's purposes. See, God has a bigger purpose for our lives. God has a bigger purpose for you and me individually and collectively. The game that God invites us to, it has eternal significance. Most big games, they, they give a team a pennant. You get a trophy, you get a medal or a plaque, and it lasts for a season. You get bragging rights for a season, and the next season, it starts all over. You're on equal ground, and everybody's fighting their way to try to get to the top again. See, we're not playing for a season. We're playing for keeps. Author and speaker Daniel Pink, a prolific author about, about business and business culture, um, I, I heard a talk that, that he gave about what employees need in a workplace to feel satisfaction. And the number one reason he gave was purpose. To know that what you do matters. To know what you do matters. And, and he cited a, a study where they would show uh, cooks in a restaurant if they had access to a screen that showed the people eating, those cooks reported higher job satisfaction because they weren't just cooking meals over a stove for no reason. They saw the, the end recipient. They realized, I'm cooking for a person. It's as simple as that. And God's purposes, like we, we all need to know that what we do matters. And in God's purposes, no matter what your job, no matter what school you went to, no matter your relationship status, your age, your net worth, your wounds, your past, your abilities, or your disabilities, your life matters for all eternity. And you won't find a greater purpose than joining in what God is doing in transforming human lives and all of creation in a way that matters for all of eternity. Your life matters for all eternity. We are able to point to a kingdom that will never end, that will never fail, and there is something so much bigger going on here than we can see with our eyes. So much bigger than what we can see with our eyes. 
And Paul continues to write about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old life is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's something bigger than what we see with our eyes. The early followers of Jesus, it took a while for them to grasp just who he was and what kind of endeavor Jesus was calling them to. They didn't at first understand the enormity of what they were being invited to. See, from a worldly point of view, Jesus was of lowly birth, from a backwoods town, of humble social position. He hung out with sketchy people. He disregarded social and religious norms. Who was this man? What kind of a team captain was this? And he chose the most eclectic, oddball assortment of disciples to be his followers, to be on his team. But slowly, 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 their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened because this man could heal the sick. This man could calm the storm. This man gave sight to the blind and could forgive the sinner. And then came the cross and the resurrection. And those around him realized that no worldly point of view was sufficient enough to grasp who Jesus was or what he was up to. This is no ordinary team, and this is no ordinary game. This is no longer the old game of trying harder and working your way up the leagues, trying to climb the ladder, trying to outperform the other person or prove our value to God or to anyone else. That game is over. This is the new game, the big game, and it has global and eternal and yet deeply personal consequences. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And we, you and I, are called to be a team who are now ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's kind of scary thought. God's choosing us to be his ambassadors in the world, to help all people be reconciled to God, to discover the with God life that Jesus offers, and to demonstrate the mercy and love and justice and peace of God's kingdom. Now, there are so many ways to get in the game. And if you haven't found a team yet at Menlo Church, many of you have. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to take that step. There are opportunities with with kids' ministries, with students' ministries. It could be as simple as holding a baby in the nursery. You don't have to teach anything. You don't have to have a, a graduate degree in theology. You just have to have arms 
or a lap. If you're looking for community, so often I hear people saying, I, I want to find community in this church. The best way to do that, first go to starting point. Second, join a team and you will get to know people as you serve alongside them. And our volunteers will tell you, when they serve, they're the ones that end up feeling so much more blessed than anything they could have given. So I encourage you to get on a team at every campus, wherever you are. And getting in the game is not only about volunteering at church. I don't want to convey that. It's so important, but our life is so much more than those few hours a week. Do serve at your church, but when you walk out this door, whatever room you're in, whatever campus, if you're home, if you're in your car, when you step out into the world, you are sent, we are sent as ambassadors for Christ in everything, everything that we do. Because God can take every interaction, every relationship, every conversation to do something greater than what we can see with our own eyes, to draw someone closer to God, to be a sign pointing to God's mercy and justice and love in the world and to say, hey, it's not about me, it's about this person, Jesus. We're ambassadors for him, for that kingdom. Rich Stearns, who is the the former CEO of World Vision who's spoken uh, to our church before. He wrote this, it starts with you. In the end, God simply calls you to be faithful to the things he's given you to do. He doesn't require you to be a superstar, just faithful and obedient by praying, loving, serving, giving, forgiving, healing, and caring, doing small things with great love. Every act of compassion done in Christ's name matters. Every time we work toward a society that treats people with dignity, we point to God's kingdom. Every time we work for a more just and fair workplace, when we seek to listen before speaking, every time we offer so much as a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, when we feed the hungry, when we share the hope that we have in Christ for a with God life that lasts forever, we join in God's work in a way that we may never fully understand this side of eternity, but we are confident in God's purposes. See, Jesus takes all our little acts of obedience, however small they might seem at the time, and uses them to do something huge. He takes your story and mine and weaves them into this amazing narrative that is moving to the redemption of all creation. Our lives become signposts to a kingdom where people will come from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and feast together in the kingdom of God and where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain and for the old order of things will have passed away. This is a kingdom against which the gates of hell will not prevail. This is the big game. And you and I, together, we get to be part of it. And we get to celebrate Christ's victory together. We get to play. And this team is not complete without you on it. So ask God for a new way you can partner with him this week, big or small, 
Ask him to partner with you, for you to partner with him in whatever it is he is doing, wherever he leads you this week. Ask God how you can get in the game in a new way, and then just do it. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that we are chosen by your grace, not by our works so that no one can boast. We are qualified to be on your team, not because of our own doing, but because you have simply chosen us out of your goodness and love. And so help us to respond to that invitation, whether it's for the very, very first time, or maybe renewing our response to your call. God, thank you that we are compelled by your love. Help us to dwell in your love more fully and deeply that it may flow through us, that we may be, that we may be vessels for your love in this world, not because of our own strength, but because of your spirit at work in us. And God, thank you that we can have confidence in your purposes that you are faithful to complete what you have begun until the day of Christ Jesus and that you call us to be a part of your purposes even when we can't see it. Help us to trust that our acts of faithfulness are used by you to do something of eternal significance. God, thank you that you call us to be your ambassadors and empower us to serve you in word and deed and everything we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.